Okay, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Nawayna ta'alamu wa ta'alimu tadakuru wa tadkiru wa nafa'u l-intifa'u wa l-ifarat wa l-istifar wa l-hath ala tamasuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa dua'a ilan huda wa dalalatan an khair bitigha'i madatillahi wa wajihihi wa qurbihi wa thawabihi. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Here we go. Just pull that up. Put it over there somewhere. Okay. So we left off on number 40. 140. 140. Amin. أباح لك أن تنظر ما في المكونات وما أذن لك أن تقف مع ذوات المكونات قل انظروا ماذا في السماوات فتح لك باب الأفهام ولم يقل انظروا السماوات لأن لا يدلك على وجود الأجرام so he said, Allah be pleased with him. He has permitted you to reflect on what is in created beings, but he has not allowed you to stop at the self-same creatures. Say, behold, this is a verse from the Quran. Say, behold, what is in the heavens and the earth. Thus with his words, behold, what is in the heaven, he has opened up the door of instruction for you. But he did not say, behold, the heavens so as not to lead you to the mere existence of bodies. So, one of the things that he's kind of getting at here, and we've seen throughout the hikam, is that um, many of the concepts and ideas around spirituality deal with a recognition of the multiple layers uh, through which one can look at the world. And if we stop at one layer that is usually the most external layer, then we miss what's going on behind it. And what he's saying is that Allah told us in the Quran, He told us, look at what is in the heavens. And he didn't tell us to look at the heavens. So what he's getting at here is that he has Allah has told us to look at what is in the heavens so that when we look at the created things and we see them that we can through seeing them see what is necessarily uh, underneath them in a sense or below them or behind them um, that these things are a reflection of the creative power and ability of Allah. And so the goal is not to just behold the thing, but the goal is to let the thing be a means by which we behold the attribute of Allah or the attributes of Allah that are bringing this thing into this reality in front of us. Um, so basically what I said, what I was going to. Okay. Um, and in doing so, he has opened up for us the door. Mm, that's an interesting translation. I probably wouldn't translate it that way. Uh, he has opened up the door of instruction for you. I would say that he has opened up the door of understanding for you. He has opened up the door for you to be able to understand things at a way that goes beyond face value. Okay, And actually, one of the um, Ibn Qayyim, used to say about the act of reflection uh, that reflection and gratitude that a person will look that there's levels the first level is the person perceives basic level they perceive if you sight they see the tree they see the sky they see the whatever it is level one then level two is they look at that thing and they recognize its beauty. Okay. Also, everyone shares in this. Number three is they look at the thing and they recognize its beauty. 
and that leads them to reflect upon the beauty of the creator of those things and so now this is a different level only the believers can share in this believers of different types let's say they can share in the in the in the act of reflecting upon something beautiful and letting that be a means by which they think about the beauty of the creator and then the fourth level that comes after that is the level of the one who um, s- stays in the stays in the state of number three uh, so often that that becomes their standard. So rather than just like a one-off time of reflection or in- introspection, that becomes what they do. They're doing that all the time. Okay, so this is the different layers that one can achieve, and so this is kind of getting at that, right? Like Allah has told us to look in the heavens, not at the heavens. So. We're supposed to see that the, the thing that's beneath it that animates all of that creation, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fatahalaka in the commentary says, Fatahalaka ayyuhal murid bab al afham. Fatafhamu annaha mawjudatan li ghayriha la li thatiha. Fatanzur fin akwan li tasila ila ma'rifatan rahman. Says he has opened for you, Allah has opened for you this door of understandings so that you can understand that these things in creation are present not in and of themselves but as a result of something other than themselves and so when you look at the created things you do so in order to arrive at the knowledge of the most merciful subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's 140. 141, he says, The universe is permanent through his making it permanent. And it is annihilated by the unity of his essence. I don't know if I would translate this as permanent. Thabita. Thabit. Thabit means that it is um, It's kind of like established, it's present It is It's held in place Um, So the point of all this is to say That all of this that is in creation Is there and it's firm and it's in place Because Allah made it in place And if we look from the perspective of his attributes that put it into the into existence and keeps it into existence, who al Hayyun Qayyum, then uh, it's present. But if we look from the perspective of Allah's Ahadiyya, then nothing exists. Everything is annihilated in the face of his Ahadiyya, his unity of existence. Um, so he says in the commentary, because it's going to take a little bit of. A little bit of unpacking I think it'll make sense with a little bit of unpacking is that فَمَنْ نَظَرَ إِلَىٰ أَحَدِيَّةِ ذَاتِهِ لَمْ يَجِدْ الْأَكْوَانِ ثُبُوتًا وَإِنَّمَا لَهَا ثُبُوتٌ عِنْدَ مَنْ نَظَرَ إِلَىٰ الْوَاحِدِيَّةِ لِأَنَّ الْأَحَدِيَّةَ عِنْدَ الْعَارِفِينَ هِيَ ذَاتِ الْبَحْدِ أي الخالصة عن الظهور في المظاهر وهي الأكوان والواحدية هي ذات الظاهرة في الأكوان فيكون للأكوان حينئذ ثبوت باعتبار ظهور الحق فيها ولذا يقولون الأحدية بحر بلا موج والواحدية بحر مع موج فإن الحق سبحان عندهم كالبحر والأكوان كالأمواج التي يحركها ذلك البحر فهي ليست عينه عينه ولا غيره this is a heavy thing that he said Stable, yeah My translation says stable Stable is good Ithbats is Stable So this you know, I'm going to try to translate this He says so the one who looks to the unity of Allah's existence is ahadiyya they don't find any stability to anything in creation 
because they see the stability, the thabut, they see the stability. If they look at his wahidiyya, not his ahadiyya, but his wahidiyya. Um, it's oneness versus unity. Oneness. So it's hard to use these terms and stuff. Sometimes people translate them as if they're the same. Ahad, ahad and wahid. Allah is al-ahad and he is al-wahid. And al-ahad often is translated as one and wahid is often translated as one. But they're not the same. So ahadiyya is often used in the context of a oneness for lack of a better way of expressing this that I can think of. A oneness that is almost inward facing. So it's kind of like an absolute oneness that excludes everything else. And and wahid is a one that is one and manifests into everything else. So it's it's almost like a one that's outward facing versus a one that's inward facing. And that's why it's saying that they see the, the stability of created things by looking at Allah as an wahid because that's the one that is outward facing. But they, they see the annihilation of all of those created things if they look at Allah as Al-Ahad, Al-Ahad, which is a one that's inward facing. And they say that because of this, this is they say that Al-Ahadiyya Bahrun Bila Mawj. That Al-Ahadiyya, this state of Ahad, is like an ocean without waves. Hmm? And the state of Wahid, this Al-Wahidiyya, the state of Wahid, is like an ocean with waves. An ocean without waves and an ocean with waves. Because Al-Haq, the ultimately true to them, is like an ocean. And the created things are like the waves that are moved on that ocean. So they're not the ocean, but they're not not the ocean. And this is the Tawheed Al-Arifin. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, apparently there's a big bath in one of the commentators. Uh, there's a big research in one of the comment commentaries on this, um, by Imam Shankawi, who is also from Shiuch Al Azhar, um, and kind of like parsing what is actually, because we talked about before this thing about Wahdat and Wujud and how sometimes people will translate. Uh, Things that are in here as if it's Wahdatun Wujud, but it's not actually that. And he kind of does an indication of that here. Wahdatun Wujud meaning like everything is one. And everything is not one. Uh, and yet everything is still by Allah and through Allah. So, um, you know, that's a bigger topic. We'll leave for now, inshallah. Um, but, you know, point is here, if you look at creation from the perspective creation everything that's in creation exists because Allah allows it to exist and if we look at Allah's absolute oneness then everything ceases to exist it's as if everything ceases to exist 142 uh, oh 142 People praise you for what they suppose is in you, but you must blame your soul for what you know is in it. This is a good translation, I think. I like that, suppose, what they suppose is in you. Praise people, people praise you for what they suppose is in you, but you must blame your soul for what you know is in it. And so again, we have this inward-facing, outward-facing concept. And outward-facing, people might suppose certain good things about you, and so they praise you for them. But in y and then your response to that praise, or my response to that praise, is to bear in constant mind the reality of our inward states and the reality of our shortcomings. And we don't leave the certainty of, uh, which is coming up in two hikmas, we don't leave the certainty of what we know about ourselves in order to believe the... Uh, the things that people suppose about us. So the certainty that we have about ourselves is more clear to us than what other people suppose about us. And this is generally used um, 
like in this uh, in this sense that people might praise us and we realize out of humility that we um, you know we have our shortcomings but sometimes this can be used on the other side as well you know sometimes people will blame us for certain things sometimes people will think badly of us for certain things sometimes whatever it might be while we know that those things are not true and so I don't also allow my perception of myself to become negative as a result of the false negatives that someone else might have right so there's there's this could also go the other way um, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu he used to say the following dua when people would praise him he would say the following dua he would say um, he would say, either uh, Allahumma anta a'lamu bi min nafsi, wa ana a'lamu bi nafsi minhum. Allahumma ja'alni khayran mimma yadhunun, wa ghfirli ma la ya'lamun, wa la tu'akhidni bi ma yaqulun. It's a really beautiful dua that Sayyidina Abu Bakr used to make. He used to say, Oh Allah, you know me better than I know me. And I know me better than they know me. Right? So someone's praising him. He says, Oh Allah, you know me better than I know me. And I know me better than they know me. Oh Allah, make me better than what they suppose of me. And forgive me for what they do not know about me. And do not take me to account for what they say. And this is Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You know, according to Ahlul Sunnah, the best of the companions. This is his. Uh, his response to someone praising him Allah you know me better than myself and I know myself better than they know me oh Allah make me better than what they think of me and forgive me for what they do not know and don't hold me accountable for what they say it's really remarkable subhanAllah radiallahu ta'ala these are all kind of connected 143 says When the believer is praised He is ashamed before God That he should be lauded for an attribute He or she does not see in himself or herself So when they're praised they feel shy in front of Allah. Ashamed is one possible translation, but shy would be another translation. Uh, uh, they feel shy that Allah is... They feel shy that people are praising them for an attribute in front of Allah. They feel shy for people praising them for something that they do not have. Uh, can you post the dua of Abu Bakr on screen or in chat please in Arabic or in English maybe someone can find it actually someone will probably if you um, if you search on Google you'll probably find it it's pretty famous if someone finds it and they can put it in the chat box, that would be helpful. Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to type up the whole thing in Arabic and then write a translation in English. I can do it, but uh, it would be easier if someone found it. Let's see. I'll give, it, I'll give you a minute or two while we continue. Um, so what does the person do when they find themselves in this situation? They're shy in front of Allah that they're being praised like this. Says in the commentary, وَيُكْثِرُ الشُّكْرُ لِرَبِّهِ الَّذِي أَظْهَرَ لَهُ مَحَاسِنَ عِنْدَ النَّاسِ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ عَلَيْهَا اشتهار. That the person then, this in this case, they're grateful to Allah. They're constantly uh, grateful to Allah. That Allah has made apparent on them good qualities that were seemingly not apparent. And that gratitude that they have to Allah then becomes a means uh, by which they protect themselves from becoming complacent or 
um, dependence upon the praise of the servants of the creation so they can become complacent um, they can become complacent with the praise right but as long as they have this shyness and as long as they have gratitude then that praise will not cause them to become complacent so that's uh, that's the protection of this so sometimes people might experience this right sometimes people praise you for something uh, or they might praise us for something and we look at it and we're like oh I don't know about that one I don't know if that you know and the the cure for that is not to go into this overly self-deprecating oh no I've never done anything in my whole life actually I'm worse than the dirt that's under your feet actually I'm worse than the dirt that's under your feet when you go into a bathroom that's at the beach when the beaches are open and the bathroom beaches are filthy I'm worse than that dirt now, you don't have to go into all that stuff we just say alhamdulillah and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that people saw some sort of good in us that might not even be there alright and so we just praise Allah for that and as long as we praise Allah for that then that will that gratitude that we have will protect us from the possible consequences of uh, being praised in such a way. 144, thank you for uh, posting that, Islam. 144, Ajhalun Nas, this is the one that I referred to two hikmas ago. Ajhalun Nas man taraka ma nas. The most ignorant of all people is the one who abandons the certitude he has for an opinion people have. So, um, the principle in the Sharia is الْيَقِينُ لَا يَزُولُ بِالشَّكِ الْيَقِينُ لَا يَزُولُ بِالشَّكِ That certainty is not removed by doubt. Certainty is not removed by doubt. And um, so whatever it might be, I'm not going to leave what I know for what I don't know. Or what I know for what I might know. Or what seems likely. And this is a principle that is extremely important to uh, as an arbiter upon all of our thought and all of our perspectives and all of our ideas is that I'm not going to leave that which I know for that which is probable or that which is doubtful. So I know that... Um, I'm responsible in front of Allah. I'm thinking maybe in this particular case it's not that big a deal, but I know that I'm responsible. Um, the examples that's always used in fiqh is like I know that I have, I know that I made wudu. I'm not sure if I lost it. Okay, I go with what I know. I know that I lost my wudu. I can't remember if I made it. I go with what I know, um, and that's going to apply to everything. Here he's using this in the realm of spirituality. That that's an ignorant thing for a person to do is to leave that which they know about themselves because they believe in what everyone else is saying and this is extremely common right extremely common oh you're the best you're the best you're the smartest you're the most incredible you're the most intelligent person I've ever seen in my life you're so important you can change everything you can do everything you know, like on all of these things then they start to make the person deluded Allah protect us from delusion Mm. There's a really interesting actually story that the commentator puts in here. It's it's more like an incident than a story. He says it's said about one of the wise people that the common folk praised him and he began to cry. So someone praised him and he began to cry. So his student said to him are you crying and the person praised you so he said to him this is I thought this was interesting because I think you know one of the major ideas that seems to be sometimes plaguing sometimes correct um, the Muslim community is the idea of relevance and the idea of I want my religious leaders or my religious teachers to be relevant and that's true insofar as you want them to understand the context, right? You want them to understand the context of what people are living in and the things that they go through and so on and so forth so they can actually provide some perspective uh, that deals with reality. That's fine in that sense. But oftentimes what we mean by I want them to be relevant is I want them to like dress in a particular way that makes them feel cool or use language that is really this or that or make pop culture references or whatever it might be 
So I thought that this little incident was funny. He says, uh, the person praised him, he started to cry. And his student said, they praised you and you're crying because of it. And he said, إِنَّهُ لَمْ يَمْدَحْنِي حَتَّى وَافَقَ بَعْدُ خُلُقِي خُلُقَهَ فَلِذَلِكَ بَكَيْتْ He said, he didn't praise me until some of my character aligned with his character. And so because of that, I cried. Hmm. And this is a really uh, interesting... It, it takes some reflection. I never really... I was kind of on this relevant train for a while. Um... You know, and then I was talking to one brother who's been around in a long, for a long time in the dawah and in teaching and in the Muslim community and stuff. And he said, you know, I don't understand these young people now that they want everyone, uh, they want their teachers to like dress like them and talk like them and be like them and all this kind of stuff. And he said, when we used to go to Sheikh so-and-so, we never wanted him to be like us. That's why we went to him. Like he represented to us something that we were striving to become not what we already were right <laughs> and i was like whoa that's <laughs> that's really interesting like it's not you know I, I and of course that can be taken to some level of extreme and like elitism and stuff like that but the point here is that i'm not looking and, and even in pop culture right this is a theme one of my someone that i'm, I'm kind of close with he does a lot of work in media and he made the observation that at some point the hero changed from being someone that you can look up to to being someone that you can relate to and he's like just think about all of the movies that are popular and how they used to be and how they are now it became like now the hero is not like really someone you look up to that you can like relate to them because they made this mistake or they had this major fall and they overcame that fall or whatever it might be but it's all it's it's not about like upholding some sort of standard it's about none of us are perfect and like everyone's going to make mistakes and they're all going to make everyone's going to make huge mistakes not just small ones and you know so on and so forth and that that's a that's a very different perspective i mean there's a reason why the nba are masumun the NBA in our tradition, one of the core beliefs about the prophets is that they are protected from sin. Right? They're not. They. There's a reason for that. We don't uh, believe in prophets who committed adultery and got drunk and slept with their daughters or liked women, so sent their sent their husbands to the front lines and stuff like that. We don't believe in that. Um, so this is just an interesting concept to to reflect upon. I don't have to convince you or not convince you. Just reflect upon it. Um, so this question of relevancy I think is interesting you know he's saying they only praised me because they saw something in me that made them feel okay right like it's not they saw something about themselves that was that was in me and those are not the things that I want to be in me like I don't um There's probably a lot to tease out there, but a lot of things, if we sit with them and we believe that there's some sort of wisdom in them instead of just rejecting them, but if we sit with them and we believe there's some sort of wisdom in them, we can usually come to an understanding of like what the limits are on it and what are the exceptions to it and, uh, and so on. Yeah, in a sense, when they praised him, they satisfied their own ego. Yeah, in a sense. Um, And that's something that's really uncomfortable about really good spiritual teachers, actually, is that they don't really make you feel comfortable. Like, you don't feel threatened by them. You, there's not a fear that they're going to mistreat you, real true ones, or that they're going to take advantage of you, or anything like that. But they're also not going to make you feel super comfortable. Like they're not going to alleviate your own internal issues for you. That's the, actually their job is to force you to deal with your own internal issues. You know, so sometimes like I've had interactions before with teachers where you kind of I kind of walk away and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, like, <laughs> like you, sometimes you're fishing for like a little bit of, um like a little bit of affirmation, a little bit of 
taking it off yourself and putting it onto someone else, you know? And sometimes they just give these responses where it's like, no, it's on you. <laughs> and you have to figure that out. And I'm not going to sit here and play games with you. I'm not going to sit here and entertain you because if that's what you're looking for, you can go somewhere else. I'm here to, to teach you. And if you have issues with that, then you need to deal with your own issues. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's rough sometimes, but they don't even say any of that. That's, that's me projecting all of this. Maybe, that, maybe I'm completely projecting nonsense, but because they're not going to say those kind of things. But what I take from it is like, okay, yeah, I went into that and I wasn't dealing with my own stuff. And I really just needed to deal with my own stuff. And they're forcing me to do so. Right. And I think that that's important because we don't want to just build, we don't study all these things and do all these things and have these relationships and stuff so that we can just build carbon copy dependent people, right? Like what, what the goal is to build people who are really strong and really capable and they can stand on their own two feet and no matter where you put them, they're like an ummah to themselves, right? They're going to. They're going to know what to do and they're going to know how to engage and they're going to know how to... F and in order to do that, they can't be told the answers to everything all the time. They need to figure out things on their own and they need to make mistakes and they need to be right sometimes and wrong sometimes in certain things, right? Um, you know, and this is one of the things that's really remarkable about the Prophet wasallam is that he really built men and women who carried the da'wah. They carried the message of Islam into places and circumstances that is probably extremely difficult for us to even imagine. 145. When he lets praise of you burst forth and you are not worthy of it, praise him for what he is worthy of. So he's letting it happen. Just praise him. Praise Him because He's worthy. You might not be worthy. I might not be worthy when people praise us. But He is worthy of praise, subhanah. And He is worthy of praise. And He's so worthy of praise that we're unable to praise Him in a way that is befitting of His praise, His being praised. And so we just say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, because that's what He gave us. He just he gave us, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So this is the best way that I can praise Him. That's what I have. Um, subhanAllah, this one... Um, this one and the one next to it are related to an advice that uh, someone I look up to gave me one time when I asked him about like how to deal with people praising you when you know that it's just not true, <laughs> you know, like you know that they're not seeing the whole picture, but they keep praising you and stuff. So what do we do? He said, "Look, if the person, first of all, thank Allah. So this is this one is thank Allah, and the one after it is the other part of the answer." said so thank Allah and and then if the person is like a good sincere not a good but if the person is a sincere Muslim just take it as a gift and as a glad tiding from Allah and move on with your life you don't have to think about it too much so first thing here is that you praise Allah what comes to mind for me in this is the dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam subhanak la nuhsi thana'in alayk anta kama athnayta ala nafsik that the glorified are you, Allah. Uh, we are not capable of praising you. You are praised as you praised yourself. Uh, you are as you praised yourself. Like that's that's the best that we have is to praise you the way that you praised yourself subhanak and then the next one is the one that I was referring to 146 so he says that the ascetics, when ascetics are praised, they are contracted. They, are, they feel that contraction or restriction. For they witness the praise as coming from human beings. And they don't feel like they're worth it and so on and so forth. So then their, their response to that is to become restricted or contracted, contracted. When the Gnostics are praised, when the knowers of God are praised, they are expanded for they witness the praise as coming from the true king. 
So one of them, they see it coming from the people, so they feel kind of con contracted about that. And the other one, they see it as coming from Allah, so they feel a level of expansion from that. بَلْ um, uh, Those who witness God and nothing else, they say, They say, the tongues of the people are the pens of Al-Haq. The tongues of the people are the pens of Al-Haq. That the, the, the tongue is only moving because of what was written by the pen, by the command of Allah. It's a beautiful uh, little statement. And the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا مُرِحَ الْمُؤْمِنُ فِي وَجْهِهِ رَبَ الْإِيمَانُ فِي قَلْبِهِ uh, and, and it's a disputed hadith in terms of authenticity, but it's often quoted that the believer, when they are praised to their face, their iman grows in their heart. Because they believe it's coming from Allah. Their iman grows in their heart. وَلِذَا كَانَ الْمُصَنِّفُ يَمْدَحُ الشَّيْخَهُ فَيَقَعُ عِنْدَهُ الْمَدْحُ مَوْقِعًا عَظِيمًا says, and because of this idea that the person's iman grows when they're praised by a believer, that the author used to praise his shaykh, Abul Abbas and Mursi, and when he would do so, that would have a really powerful impact on the shaykh. Because the shaykh would take it as like this really happy thing, you know. Uh, and now for the other side of this. وَصَاحِبُ هَذَا الْمَقَامِ إِذَا ذَمَّهُ أَحَدٌ لَا يَجِدُ فِي نَفْسِهِ عَلَيْهِ وَلَا يُؤْذِيهِ لِعَدَمْ شُهُودِهِ ذَمَّ صَادِرًا مِنْهُ And at the same time, the other flip side of this is that the person who has this state, this position, this level, if someone blames them, <coughs> then they don't hold that against the person because they don't see it as coming from the person. When they're praised, this is how you know if they're actually in this station or if they're in like a nafsani version of this station, an egotistical version of this station. The egotistical version of this station would be when someone praises them, they see it as coming from Allah. And when someone blames them, they blame it on the people. Hmm? But the non-egotistical version of this is that if someone praises them, they see it as coming from Allah. And if someone blames them, they see it as coming from Allah. So all they're seeing is Allah. It has to go both ways. Hmm. And, uh, or th the narcissistic version is to do one without the other. <coughs> 147. <coughs> If when given something, the, ex the giving expands you, and if when deprived of something, the deprivation contracts you, then take that as proof of your immaturity and the insincerity of your servanthood. The insincerity of your servanthood and your immaturity. Because you're not like really there, you know. Again, the people who are there with Allah, if it com something comes to them, alhamdulillah. If it doesn't come to them, alhamdulillah. They're not committed to either of these possibilities. They're committed to Allah. So he's saying, take that as a sign of your immaturity. Now, uh, there's a question here. And that question is this word, tufuliyatik. Tufuliyatik. Is that the way that they've translated this here indicates taking it as being related to the word tifl? which is a child so basically take this as a sign that you're immature or you're a child you're being childlike hmm? <coughs> and subhanAllah there is kind of like um, even a cultural connotation to that right a cultural connotation to that is that like part of what it means to grow up is to um, is is to not be so affected by the things that happen you know like sometimes it goes your way sometimes it doesn't go to, it doesn't go your way and you know you you roll with the punches you play the hand that's dealt 
right? It's not like, oh, I'm not going to even play now because I didn't get the cards that I wanted or it didn't go the way. So there's, a, there's an element of that. But that's not actually the way that he goes about this in the commentary that, I'm, that I've been looking at. He, he doesn't actually relate it to the idea of being a tifl. He relates it to the idea of a tataful. And a tataful is something else in, in Arabic. And it relates to the idea of someone who's tufayli. So there's a whole thing here that has to be kind of unpacked. So he says, فَاسْتَدِلَّ بِذَلِكَ عَلَىٰ تَطَفُّلِكَ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِ اللَّهِ وَالدِّعَىٰ مَا لَهُمْ مِنَ الْمَقَامَاتِ وَلَسْتَ مِنْهُمْ فَتَكُونَ كَالْتُفَيْلِيَ الَّذِي يَدْخُلُ مَعَ الْأَضْيَافِ فِي ضِيَافَتِهِمْ وَلَا يَسْتِحِقُ الدُّخُولَ مَعَهُمْ So he, he took a different route here. A tutafful and the idea of a tufayli. A tufayli is an important character in Arabic literature. Okay, and in different genres of literature, you have different characters, right? Like people have generally like Juha is a character in Arabic, Juha, and Mullah Nasruddin is a similar character in kind of like the Central Asian, South Asian lands. The idea of Mullah Nasruddin and kind of like this this Joker, um, trickster Joker kind of person, but oftentimes who has a lot of wisdom. Uh, and a Tufayli is, is another character that presents himself a lot. A Tufayli is a person who basically shows up uninvited at a party and pretends like they're supposed to be there. So the Tufayli is like, okay, they know this gathering's going on, they show up and they're like, oh, feed me too, let me get some food too, let me take some things home. The Tufayli is like the uninvited guest. Okay? And that's a Tatafful. And a tufuliya is related to that. So what he's saying in the, in the commentary is, if this is your state, then know that you're a tufayli. Because you claim that you're from the people of Allah. And you claim that you have this position and you have this state. But basically, you brought yourself into a party that you don't belong in. And you considered yourself part of a group that you're not a, you're not a part of that group. So you're a tufayli. And you're not being sincere in your servanthood. Because if you were being sincere in your servanthood, you wouldn't be uh, you know, dealing with the whole thing in that way. Okay? So the point here is to emphasize again the idea that give and take is not the point. Uh, rolling with the waves and the winds of Qadr is what the believer is supposed to do. And... What's interesting is that sometimes like you might even be inclined to a particular direction you know but the wind of Qadr hasn't blown you in that direction yet and so you wait and a couple weeks could even pass maybe a month passes and the wind changes and you're like okay now it's time for me to do this thing you know Maybe, and we have that sometimes. Like sometimes we feel like, okay, it's time for me to move on from this thing that I'm in. Or I feel like it's time, but I'm not really at the point. Nothing's really pushed me to actually make the move yet. So then I have to go through this feeling of like, the move or not the move is not the point. What the point is, is Allah. And to focus on Allah. And to be with Allah. And if Allah moves me, Allah moves me. And if Allah doesn't move me, He doesn't move me. And then, oftentimes what happens is that the wind comes and it moves. The move is there. And at that point, now the person has not moved themselves, but they've waited for Allah to indicate to them the move. And then there's great blessing in it. And, and they are given aid in it rather than having to handle it themselves, which I think came up in last week or the week before. So all of these things are going to... Um, I was telling my wife, like, every week when we do the hikam, I feel like, and I don't do it, may Allah forgive me, but I feel like uh, like really, it would be really, really useful to go through, you know, not too deep of a commentary. That's what, I'm not trying to do too deep of a commentary. I'm trying to do a commentary that's just enough so that we can understand what's being said. And then you just read it, like every week. Every week, I'm going to read through all 240 or 245 or however number it is. I think something like that. 
Every week I'm going to go through it. I'm going to read it, read it, read it, read it, so I can be reminded. I can be reminded. I can be reminded. Because every week when we come back to them, it's like, SubhanAllah, I needed to remember that. I need to pay attention to this. I need to focus on this, and so on. So 148. When a sin is committed by you, do not let it make you despair of attaining uprightness with your Lord. For that one may be the last ever destined for you to commit. For that one may the last ever... It's missing a B, right? For that one may be the last ever destined for you to commit. That might be the last one. So I'm, I'm trying and I'm working and I'm trying to rectify my relationship with Allah and I'm doing the best that I can and I fall into this sin. It says, don't let it be a cause of despair for you because that might actually be the last one that might be the last one that he's destined upon you but you have to keep working and keep reviewing and keep going back to it and he says something important in the commentary he said فالواجب عليك حينئذ أن تبادر بالتوبة منه فإنه قد يكون آخر ذنب قدر عليك فتستديم بعده الاستقامة So he says um, Don't worry that this means that you cannot be upright with Allah Don't worry that this means that you cannot be upright with Allah Because a mistake that happens all of a sudden is not contradictory to being upright with Allah what's contradictory to being upright with Allah is to be persistent in that mistake and intend to continue doing it uh, over and over again and what's required of the person in that situation is that they flee to Allah and ask his forgiveness and maybe that will be the last sin that they're destined to commit um, some good comments here um, Shaitan tries hard to make us despair Yes, he sure does Your best teacher is your last mistake Also very good uh, Someone said This sounds like conditional love for God Can you explain? I'm not sure Try to say more If you want to come on the audio You can if you want to put it in there It was for the previous one Okay Like the person Are you, Do you mean the person who they're happy when they get what they want, but they're not when they don't get what they want. That sounds like conditional. Okay, that sounds like yeah, it is right. It's it's like oh Allah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be your servant. That's why he says uh, you didn't have sidq in your ubudiyah. There's not sincere. That's not sincerity in your servanthood because that's like I'm gonna be your servant, Allah, as long as you do what I want you to do for me, and it's really problematic. Uh, may Allah protect us Even though we recognize it's problematic Sometimes we act that way And uh, getting it into our hearts And like really You know allowing it to be in there Is oftentimes harder than just saying it 149 So What's interesting about this, he says, When you want him to open you the door of hope, behold what is from him to you. And if you want him to open you the door of fear, behold what is from you to him. <coughs> so, this one I think is really interesting because it's reminding us that part of our journey to Allah is that we must be very vigilant with ourselves and we must pay attention to ourselves and we must watch ourselves and if we watch ourselves we'll realize that sometimes I need to give myself a little bit of hope and sometimes I need to give myself a little bit of fear and it's almost like a medicine right like I'm noticing that I'm getting too lazy I'm getting too I'm getting too hopeful so I need to give myself a dose of a little bit of fear and sometimes I'm becoming too fearful and I need to give myself a little bit of a dose of hope 
and I'm going to medicate myself, I'm going to treat myself in this journey to Allah by using those things. So what he's giving us in this hikmah then is, if I'm paying attention and I'm trying to medicate myself in this way and deal with these things, then how is it, okay, I recognize that I'm actually going a little bit overboard in the fear thing, and I need to give myself a little bit of hope. How do I do that? I do it by looking at what He has given to me. What Allah has given to me. And if I'm on the other side and I realize that I'm becoming too hopeful and it's causing me to be complacent and lazy and so on and so forth, then what I need to do is look at what I am putting forth for Him. What I'm putting forth for Him. And then that will give me like a little bit of Alright, I need to do more. I need to I need to put in more work. I need to do more, you know. 149, 150. Making better time today, but we're still not making great time. 115. <laughs> Very nice. He says, He often benefits you in the night of distress, which you have not benefited in the dawning of the daytime of elation. You know not which of them is nearer in benefit to you. So sometimes we have these, again, times of elation and expansion. Sometimes we have times of distress and despair, not despair, distress and contraction and restriction. And oftentimes he's giving us in the in the night of that restriction more than we're getting in the day of the elation. And this is why again, you know, we don't worship Allah so that we get whatever we want. We worship Him because He's God. And this is also why some of the spiritual teachers, um, at least one that I know, anytime that someone speaks to him about how bad their iman is, which is not usually an issue of how bad their iman is, it's about how they're feeling. He tells them, you are not the judge of your iman. You worship your Lord. You are not the judge of it. And part of what that's saying is that, like, these are not the things by which we judge our relationship with God, the contraction and the expansion. The contraction and the expansion is part of it. It's not going anywhere. It's part of it, you're going to have it. And how do we deal with it? How do we keep going? And how do we have istiqamah in the face of both of those things? Um, because sometimes actually, and we've, I think we already covered that one, and there's another one coming that's very similar to it. Um, it's not in the next couple. But is that sometimes actually the person who's in a state of expansion is in more trouble than the person who's in the state of constriction. Because the one in the expansion, they think like everything's so great and they think they're so great and they want to talk about everything and they were like the insights they have and the spiritual experiences they had and so on and so forth. And because they keep talking about it, it gets cut off. Because now it became a show and it's not supposed to be a show. It's supposed to be you and Allah. There's a really interesting biography in the beginning of a book called Sea Without Shore. And this is not to... Um, call people to any particular spiritual path or a teacher or anything like that it's to mention the biography so it's the book is by uh, Sheikh Nuh Keller and um, he's a Shadini and so what he did in the book is the second half of the book he talks about like the path or whatever but the first half, he tells biographies of people that he's met, uh, met on his journey. And one of them in particular, I don't remember which one it was. It was really interesting. But it really focused on how this person that he's talking about was really adamant that whatever's between him and Allah stays between him and Allah. He's not going to talk about it. He's not going to make any show of it. He's not going to give any hint of it. It's purely between him and Allah. you know. And he's going to look and talk and speak and be as normal as possible and what's happening in his heart is what's happening in his heart what's happening in his relationship with Allah is what's happening in his relationship with Allah it's not a game it's not a show right 151 
And this idea has come before, we can move quickly. The horizons whence illuminations ascend are hearts and souls. So what is this saying? This is saying that the anwar, the illuminations that dis ascend and, and, and um, the place of the illuminations is the hearts and the souls. They're like uh, the hearts of the of the knowers of God, and their inner their inner souls are like the are like the skies that the that the stars shine in. Right. In general, the person's soul is like the sky that the light shines in. The stars shine in the sky. The lights of Allah shine in the heart. So if the heart is polluted, it's like we're in the cities usually, right? There's all this light pollution. There's all this smog. All these other things. So then, when you look in the sky, you can't see the stars, even though they're there. The lights are still there in the heart of the believer. The light is still there, but when the heart is polluted, it can't shine forth. We don't recognize it shining forth. Um, there's a beautiful statement of Abu Hassan al-Shadili, radiyallahu taala anhu, where he said, "Lo kushifa an nur al-mu'min al-'aasi, la tabqa ma bain al-samai wal-ard, fama zannuka bi nur al-mu'min al-mutiyah." He said, "If <coughs> if the light of the disbelieving believer or the disobedient believer." If the light of the disobedient believer was to be unveiled, it would fill everything in the heavens and the earth. So what do you think about the believing, obedient believer? The light of the disobedient believer, if it was unveiled, it would fill everything that's in the heavens and the earth. So what do you think about the believer who's obedient and follows what their Lord wants them to follow? I want to try to get through a couple more. That way we can have a good stopping point. Nurun uh, 152. So now he's, in, he's talking about these different nur, different light. This is a light. A light is reposited in hearts that is maintained by the light coming from the treasures of the unseen. So the light that's in the heart the light that's in the sky, we get it from the sun, right? That's what... We get. And the sun gets its light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately. But the light that's in the heart, its source and its maintenance comes from the light of the treasuries of the unseen. Uh, in the next one, So now he's, he's explaining it more. So one of these lights... Like the light of the sun, the light of the moon. These are lights by which, there is a light by which he shows you his effects. His effects meaning those things that are in creation as an effect of his attributes. Right? So, um, whatever it might be. Like they say that a tree is a reflection of Allah's attribute of, or his name of Ar-Razaq. That Allah is the provider and a tree is a reflection of that name. So, there is a light that allows us to see that tree which is a reflection of his name, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a light by which he shows you his attributes. That's the light of the heart. So there's a light by which we see the tree. And there's a light by which we see al-razaq. And those are two very different lights, what he's getting at here. So the nur, the, the nur, the light that's in the heart is the most important one to pay attention to. And that's why, again, you know, sometimes you see people who are blind, especially in Muslim history, there's so many people who are blind, who are great scholars, great saints, because they were blind, but they could see. And they could see things that other people couldn't see. The light that was in their heart was seeing in a way that others, others don't. Hearts sometimes halt with lights just as selves are veiled by the opacity of things beside him. So sometimes the heart doesn't make it past that light, that, that initial light. doesn't get deeper. Just like sometimes the soul is the self, the soul is veiled by um, the material things. You know, sometimes it doesn't go. And it needs to go a little bit deeper, but it's not always that things go... Uh, a little bit deeper. 
We're going to stop here, but I'll read the next one just to say that we're going to read the next one, inshallah. We're going to continue from 155 next time. It's tied to this, and it's tied to something that I was making an indication to before. Satara anwar al-sara'iri bi kathaif al-zawahir ijlalan laha an tubtadala bi wujud al-adhar wa an yunada alayha bi lisan al-ishtihar. He says he has veiled the lights of inward souls with the coarseness of outward appearances out of reverence for them lest they be made low and common by being divulged or be called on aloud by the tongue of fame. So we'll, we'll come to this one next time, inshallah. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. If there's any comments or reflections or anything people want to share, and wa sallam.